0: Now, and that's what happened with this audiologist that I worked with. How
1: would you get the client?
0: Contacted by our phone work. I went in to to see him and he showed me an advertising campaign that he had paid an ad agency $20,000 to create and to put into the newspaper. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he said, Richard, I didn't get one call so it had totally failed and lost him $20,000. Wow. And I said, Well, here's what I'd like to try and do. Number one, there's nothing in this newspaper advertising that tells me why I should come to you. There's no unique selling proposition. And so he paid me to do that and create that. I said, Next, what we'll do is I'd like to try some seminars instead of the newspaper. And so we created a seminar promotion piece that went out in the direct mail. So we decided to go direct mail rather than newspaper. And this is so important because that decision was based on the work done to create a unique selling proposition. Because in the process of step one, we determined that he was not a mass price seller of hearing aids. And if you go through your local newspaper, you're going to see tons of advertising from hearing aid companies on price. So I said, your customer is not going to be reached through the newspaper. That's for a hearing aid company that wants to mass sell hearing aids at the lowest price.
1: What was his unique selling proposition? How was he different?
0: He was different because of two or three things. One, he was the only one in the area that belonged to to a national buying club that could purchase from all 32 manufacturers of hearing aids. But he had the largest selection available. Number two is he's the only one in the area that had a scheduled hearing health care plan. In other words, the customers would come to him and not just get a hearing aid, but they would actually schedule their follow-up visits for the next two years. And it was already scheduled in advance. So he was just a higher end servicer. He was more of a healthcare professional, not a hearing aid dispenser. Well, you can't persuade people in a page of advertising to do that. And so it was wasting his money. So we redirected the resources, not 20,000, maybe 4,000 of it, to a direct mail seminar campaign. And we now have him doing seminars on a regular basis rather than newspaper. So we've shifted the resources to match the unique selling proposition. Because with the direct mail, I can target higher income people who respond more to a healthcare care professional rather than a hearing aid dispenser. Who are they mm-hmm. mailing to? They're mailing to a demographic group of 55 and 65 years of age and older. Mm-hmm and a certain income level. And we bring them to a seminar and give them a free dinner. That took a little convincing. I had to help the owner understand that just go ahead and buy 20 people their dinner and bring them out on an evening at 6 o'clock and be done by 7.30. And so we've tripled his business by going to the seminar route. And we've cut his expenses. Now, let me tell you where we entered now into step four. And that is, He had a neighbor that was a financial planner to seniors. And this financial planner had a thousand clients that he had serviced over the years. Now,
1: step four is what?
0: Alliances and partnerships. Okay. So we're forming an alliance and partnership with this financial planner. And so the financial planner, we crafted a letter that he'd send out to his thousand people, inviting them to a seminar and a free dinner. Cause we'd already found out that worked, yet it only cost the meal. It didn't cost anything because the, the alliance partner covered the cost of the mailing, and it was a much smaller, more targeted and a endorsed mailing.
1: Now was something in it for
0: the uh, alliance partner? Yes. The audiologist is going to sponsor a seminar to his patients. So it works both ways. And so we were going to do another seminar. Uh, after this one that we scheduled with the alliance partner. But the turnout was so great, the conversion rate so high, that my client is booked for the next three weeks from this uh, endorsed seminar. Who put together the uh, direct mail letter? I did. Was that difficult? Oh, no. no, when you know how to do it. And that's what the system will teach you. And now we'll sponsor a seminar for the financial planner. And I went up to my client and I said, do you realize that you're going to sell probably 20 hearing aids and it's going to cost you
1: $400? Is the financial planner going to be your client too?
0: Maybe. I wanted to tell this story about the, the audiologist because he retains me on a monthly basis. and So residual income, that can happen that way. You can keep a client for a long time.
1: Mm -hmm. He
0: just calls me and we just stay in touch and I do a little bit every week for him and he pays me on a monthly basis and so I have an ongoing client income.
1: Okay, that's great.
0: Yeah, that's another way to to work with your client. But it also illustrates... Now what we're talking about is he said to me, he said, you know, Richard, there's got to be other financial planners that are going to the seniors. And he's right. We'll just start finding other financial planners to do the same endorsed seminars with.
1: And he He could do that for the rest of his life and never have to mail cold again.
0: And save four grand. So again, the system not only increases sales, but frees up working capital, increases his net profits, increases his margins. The business is impacted in all ways where traditional advertising can't impact it like that. Uh, Here's a furniture company. Discount furniture store. Mm -hmm. And my phone contacting contacted this group. I want to illustrate this story to also illustrate an important principle, and and I think I may have mentioned it in a previous interview, and that was that a startup company is hard to work with because they don't have a lot of marketing assets. Well, this was a startup when I went to meet them. He'd been in business about three months. So he was just getting going. Well the reason that I went ahead and took this client is he was willing to pay me to help him build the assets. So that's important. Don't say no to a startup just because he doesn't have assets. If he has some capital and is willing to pay you as a marketing consultant to help him build up the assets, that's okay, so he did. But he was doing about $4,000. Net profit a month. So he was grossing about ten, twelve thousand dollars in sales, keeping about a forty percent margin. So I said, well, we need a unique selling proposition. So he paid me for that. I said we need to then get it into the ads that we're doing. And he was doing some newspaper ads and he was doing some coupon ads with the local coupon company. I said, let's get the unique selling proposition into your son who's running the store. He needs to be selling this with people coming into the store. And then I said, he needs to track everyone that comes in and doesn't buy because I want him to make a follow-up phone call in two days and see if they're still interested and would like to buy what they were looking at. So we did really three steps, and we developed some letters for the customer base that they were building up.
1: And then we
0: did step number four, which was alliances and partnerships, because what we did was we created a, a promotion piece that could be used by a title company. When people go in to sign and buy their house, they go to a title company. Well, this title company liked to reward their customers with something. So we gave them a $75 gift certificate to the furniture store. Mm -hmm. So we have a partnership going on. We have people buying new houses. What do they need? Furniture. Furniture. So we have a title company that wants to give their customers something to say thank you for doing their closing at their title company. And the way they'll say thank you is giving them $75 value towards furniture at the store. And so now we have step number four in place generating customers from a title company. So we don't have to go spend media dollars to drive people into the store. This is so important for consultants to see this. And so we're generating more traffic. We did this. Training of salespeople in step number two to convert more. Did the database, which was to send out letters and started a customer club, a, a referral frequency club for his customer. And six months later, he's generating net profits of 12 grand. So he tripled his net profit. And he's able now to keep the store open and to keep his son there running it and they're looking to expand to get into a bigger location.
1: That kind of brings something up. When you're looking at a company and choosing to take one on, and you know you can grow this business from your experience, is that something you want to ask them? How much can they grow? Or You bring up a great point. I refer
0: to them as anti-USPs, which means, you know, can you handle this growth? Is there anything that's going to kill it? We'll create a unique selling proposition for you, but can you kill it through your operations. And so, yes, you've got to make sure that there's nothing in the other parts of the business that are going to kill this growth.
1: And when are you discussing that?
0: You should try and spot that at the opportunity consultation. Mm -hmm. You should ask them, let's say if we doubled your sales, do you have the capacity to handle that with the current situation that you're in? And they might say, well, no, I'll need to hand, hire somebody, but I can do that. In fact, I was with a Prospect yesterday. They manufacture baggage for certain industries, the duffel bags, backpacks, and things like that.
1: Sure.
0: And she said, uh, well, I'm doing about $600,000 a year. And I said, well, I could see where we could get you to 800 to a $1 million pretty quick. Can you handle that? And she said, yes, because just about three months ago, I contracted with a manufacturer facility that is my competitor who can handle all of my excess business.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, so I knew then that we'd be okay because I knew without that manufacturing facility, we would have buried her.
1: Okay, great illustration. Let's do another
0: I mentioned in another interview this client. They were a very large employee leasing company. Employee leasing has been a big trend the last 10 years. They were doing about $60 million in payroll, and they were a very good progressive company. We went in and conducted the opportunity consultation, saw where I could help them. They paid me then to start implementing the marketing system. Oh, this is a good story for a couple of other reasons. Part of the unique selling proposition is to get with the owner and get the owner's perspective of what is unique. So we did that. We called customers and talked to them. We look at the competition and see what they're selling and between all of that we write up and create a unique selling proposition. Okay, then we go to step two, integrating it. Well he had five salespeople. So I went to the five salespeople, and I said, I want to hear your sales pitch. And in going out with those five salespeople, I never heard what the owner thought was the USP. So we here we have an owner on a different page than the five salespeople. That's a problem. And what the reason it's also a problem is the five salespeople are selling a commodity, just like all the other employee leasing firms, So their closing rate isn't very good. They're closing maybe about one out of five. And they're closing on price. Again, how much is your health insurance? How much are you going to save me on health insurance premiums? How much is your your dental insurance? And how much are you going to sell So again, it was a price issue, which illustrates the commodity approach that was being taken by these five salespeople. What we did then was take the, the unique selling proposition and make sure that all five salespeople we're now selling that unique selling proposition. And again, in those two steps, we go from $60 million in payroll to $90 million in payroll in a year. Wow. And that's because we doubled the conversion rate of 20% to 40%. So he kept me on, and we went into database, step number three. We went into alliances and partnerships, step number four. We actually did a lot of media. We created new brochures. We created new radio ad campaigns. We were in the, the industry journals. We went to the industry trade shows and always won the number one marketing awards that were presented at the trade shows. And then here came a contingency opportunity. He called me up and he said, Richard. Are you ready to leave your consulting and would you come with us full time as my chief marketing officer?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I said, well, I said, what's in, what's in it for me? I said, uh, I don't know that I want to leave my consulting practice. And he said, well, the industry, as you know, is going through some massive changes and we are going to be going public and that will happen in about a year. And I'd like you as the chief marketing officer, and I'm going to give you some stock. And if the stock goes as planned and comes out public as the prices that we're planning, you'll be a millionaire. So I illustrate this story because of two things. One is it took me out of my consulting for two years.
1: Now, when was this?
0: This was 98.
1: And you became a millionaire from that one deal? No,
0: no, 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 no. No, I'm illustrating this.
1: Okay, go ahead.
0: To raise some flags. Is it is a way a consultant can position himself into a contingency type. What would you say to the guy? I said, sure, I'm going to come on board. So I come on board and what happens is the case which is so typical of many entrepreneurs, he brings in a venture capital firm to give him money to go public. They begin to find out that this CEO cannot take the company public. He doesn't have the skill set.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So he gets fired and all of us get let go.
1: And how long did that happen after you came on? About a year and a half. So you weren't doing any consulting for that whole time? No. So,
0: here I was, investing, planning to go public and become a millionaire. I illustrate it because it did two things. It took me out of consulting. These are things often beyond a guy's control. That's what I want to illustrate. Is that a contingency puts you at risk that way? Yeah, and promises don't pay the bill. That's right. Absolutely. Okay. And so another opportunity might come along like that,
1: but did it cost
0: me more than it it helped me? I don't know, because they paid me well. I mean, I was paid well as chief marketing officer, and so I had nice benefits. I mean, I was a corporate man.
1: How'd you like it compa- that year doing that? How'd you like it compared to your consulting practice?
0: very 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 unsatisfactory in satisfying my need
1: to be out working with businesses you were trapped I mean we're trapped. you 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 bit the carrot and so and sold your uh, you sold your freedom for a carrot there you go that's a good lesson it's a great lesson
0: and i don't want to say that it would have necessarily been the wrong one it may have been great mm-hmm And so my message to all the consultants out there is, watch, keep your eye open. These opportunities are going to come along, and you just have to decide what's best for you. So a great story, and and a big impact in my consulting business.
1: What would you tell someone who's been a corporate guy for his whole life? And this consulting system or being a marketing consultant is something that he's always wanted to go out on his own, but he's just had the fear. Talk about some of the benefits of being your own boss, having this, your own business, and some of the fulfilling things that you've experienced over the years doing this.
0: Well, I say the number one fulfilling is the freedom of creativity when you're your own boss and the only one you're answering to is the client, the, the creativity and the fun in generating that creativity is very, very fulfilling. Because if you don't perform for the client, he'll fire you. And so you're, you're on the line. And when you're on the line, you, you just have to be creative. You have to be good. You have to raise your level of performance. When you're in the corporate world, you don't have to do that as much. You're held back by others that are making creative decisions. You're always fighting. You're always looking for political turf. You're always worried about who's getting credit. It's just that's the nature of the corporate world. And I learned in that experience that the corporate world can never ever pay you enough. They just can't. They're not set up to pay you for your individual creativity and performance. The only one that can afford to pay you that is the client. And that's the freedom of the consulting business. I started to get bored. I started to get routine. I started to get less creative. And so that's why it was unsatisfying. And why I was grateful that it finally came to an end, not in the way that it did, but that it came to an end. And it gave me the chance to get back out, get free again, and answer only to the client, and be creative again. And there's the fulfillment of your own consulting business.
1: Well stated.
0: Let's do another story. Oh, this is a great little story in your own little home community. Here's a. A small little uh, mint company, they made medallions out of gold, silver, and brass. And they create incentive medallions for brokers that do premium incentives like to Coca-Cola and to Boeing. And I was again referred to them by my the manufacturing relationship. And they were doing about $5,000 a week in sales. A little mom and pop shop and struggling. Here they were, 60 and 63 year old couple, burdened by the fact that they have to go to business and work every day because they're in debt and because their sales aren't high enough. Yet they would like to retire. Well, again, they're looking to me to say, Richard, we need more customers. And whenever you hear that as a consultant, the first thing you want to say is, well, maybe you don't. Because let's ask the question, how well are you doing with the inquiries that you're having now? Well, as we took a look at that, we create a unique selling proposition. And then step number two is to take a look at that and say, all right, who's answering the phone? Who's answering the inquiry? And what are we doing with it? Are we following up? Are we selling the unique selling proposition? Well, the wife in this partnership was the one tasked with the sales. So she didn't even know how many calls were coming in. She didn't know how to even do a bid. She didn't know how to follow up. Yet, after a couple of weeks of measuring, we found that she was getting inquiries every day for bids.
1: Okay.
0: Okay? From website that they'd had. And yet these bids were not getting converted. She was not closing them. Because she said, Richard, I don't know what to say to them. So based on these stories today, we now know what to say. And that's the USP. So we trained her and helped her to manage each inquiry better. And here, three months later, they're doing $12,000 a week. Out of five, and it's it's a burden that's lifted. He mm-hmm. says, you know, now when someone calls, I know what to tell them, and so it's been great. We've got them at capacity right now. They're handling enough that they've got because they're handling each inquiry well
1: and doing well. So how many steps have they gone through with you? Steps as well. And let's talk about how much time have you spent? Really, if you added up it's the true. hours of time you spent with this couple,
0: uh, ten hours.
1: Ten hours total.
0: They've paid me three thousand dollars great story all right i want to illustrate uh, something that's happened this past year over the last year through this relationship that i've developed with a manufacturing group as an alliance for the first time we've done some group training i hadn't done that i've always worked with with clients one-on-one because i didn't know how i could do the group training profitably Well, it so happens that in all of your states out there, in all of your communities, there are parts of the government that provide training funding for businesses and their employees. And in this particular instance, this funding is available from the state of Utah. But I didn't know about it until i got gotten associated with my manufacturing group, who's a non-profit group whose business is to know about these sources of funding. And so what's worked out is the manufacturing group has done the promotion in communities around my community. These are smaller, more rural communities that you could not profitably, as a consultant, work with someone one-on-one because you'd be traveling too much. So we have been able to package, and this will be included in the in the releases that are coming out in the updates of the system, but we've been able to package group training now. And So I did four of these group trainings, training about a 80 to 100 business owners and employees this past year. So 80 at a time? Uh, about 20 at a time. We're training them in two-hour increments. So I'll go to the area for two hours and come home. and train them all at that location.
1: On how to build their business using this system.
0: That's right. And each of those training sessions has been worth about $10,000. to.
1: For two hours?
0: For about two times seven weeks, six weeks, about 12 hours. What is exciting is these business owners, who never ever could afford to pay someone one-on-one what I would need to be paid, they get funding from the state at $500 an employee, and they have to pay 125 of that. So the government funded $375 of the 500 yet I got paid the 500 per employee. Every state has some of this type of funding. It might be through their economic development centers. This one was called Custom Fit for Utah. Mm-hmm. And so we want to encourage your consultants to understand that here's a new way to deliver this system, and that is through government-funded training, because that way they can get paid what they need to get paid, but they'll be able to attract businesses that couldn't afford to pay them
1: otherwise. And does the state pay them
0: quickly? Oh, yeah. Who pays you? What happens that the manufacturing group is the one that gets paid first. And then they turn around and pay me.
1: Do you have to wait for your money after the training?
0: 30 days. That's fantastic. And that way you're just simply delivering the steps differently than if
1: you were one-on-one. So if someone signs on goes through your system, this is just one way of them earning income. That's right. And it increased
0: my income forty, fifty thousand dollars 50000 this year. Yeah. Because I hadn't done it before. Mm-hmm. I'd never done this group training. I had never found these sources of government funding that are available. And so we want
1: the consultants to be aware of that. Well, how do you prepare for a training like that? You've got 20 people. You're going to handle all this. What, what are you going to uh, print out? What are they going to walk home with? How do they're you do at, this?
0: They're getting the seven steps modules that have been prepared for the web and that are now available in manuals.
1: What we've done is we've written
0: and taken the seven steps And turned it into a self study course by the business owner. So, as a consultant, all you got to do is go through those manuals.
1: When you're doing your presentation, are you using a projector or anything?
0: I'm using sometimes my laptop with the seminar, the PowerPoint seminar material that's going to be available to the consultant. So, you've got this thing all on
1: PowerPoint? Yes. You're just doing your PowerPoint presentation and walking them through it? Yeah. And you've got this PowerPoint presentation ready. That's right.
0: So as a consultant, you're going to have the manuals. You're going to be able to use those and make that part of your group training. And it's it's simply set up so that the business owner himself can take himself through the system and doesn't require a consultant to do it for him. This next case study revolves around a financial planning firm. They were doing about three and a half million dollars a year in business. Their target market was a wealthy individual who was on the verge of selling their business and retiring, and so they were going to come into a lot of money, a lot of assets, mm-hmm. and this financial planning firm then would sell financial plans for those types of people. So the the customer was. Uh, Oh, a typical business owner who was uh, had their business for about 20 years and was on, uh, was selling it and coming into a lot of money. And when I met them and and visited with them, and this was a fellow I had worked with previously in an, in my outside sales days, he called me up out of the blue and said, uh, "I've started a financial planning firm and I want you to come and help me with some marketing." So that's how I got this client. We went in and found out they were generating their prospects and their leads through advertising in a very high-end periodical magazine, and these ads would cost about $10,000 a piece to run. So I took a look at the ads and realized that there really wasn't a unique selling proposition in the ads. So again, that's the first place we look and we fix, is we create a unique selling proposition for them. And then we put that into the ads. And in this case, they were just advertising financial planning. But what we did was find out that the work they did would actually lower taxes by 50% or more for these clients. So we started to be more specific in the ads. And we started to say, lower your taxes 50% or more. Well, this doubled the response on the ads. So that's the situation of taking a USP and getting it integrated right into the ads. So we didn't have to spend more ads. We just did a better job. Then we had a group of contracted independent salespeople out in the field. And these people were just kind of loose out there. They were under contract where they got a commission for developing a financial plan And what had happened is these prospects would come into Salt Lake City and meet with the company there in Salt Lake City. Well, by getting some of these salespeople out in the field, the clients could meet with them in their region and in their area. So we were able to service more clients by setting up these outside salespeople who were qualified. Some were attorneys. Some were CPA background. Some were insurance background but we could train them enough to to sell the financial planning that we had. By leveraging the salespeople out in the field, we set up a selling reporting system that required them to send in their contacts, send in what they were doing with their leads and how well they were doing with their leads that we would give them from the advertising that we would generate. Tied down the sales process better. We had a real big push in alliances and partnerships. We found out that the conversion rate would increase if we brought the CPA in with the business owner. We were finding that we would propose a financial plan and that they would go to their CPA and it would get killed by the CPA. So we just simply started bringing the CPA with the client, mm-hmm. treating them as a valued advisor partner from the beginning. So our conversion rate started to go up. We started to do a little bit more community marketing in the areas of the salespeople doing seminars and workshops, and so over a year we took them from three million to seven and a half million by those steps of the system.
1: That's fantastic!
0: Another great story and a great use of all steps of the system. Media was big because they were spending large on media. A community was was improved because we would have salespeople in the local regional area. Direct marketing was used because we would send out, beyond the media, we would send out a newsletter and direct mail pieces to prospects. So there's a case where all seven steps to consider that were implemented.
1: I hope this recording has been some of the best marketing advice you've heard in a long time. Richard's proven system of uncovering hidden marketing assets in a business is based on his 15 years of marketing consulting, and it works. Whether you're a new business looking for a way to systematize your marketing, or if you want to be a marketing consultant, helping small to medium-sized businesses while making a very comfortable income working part-time from home, Richard's system can shortcut the learning process for you. For more information on Richard's marketing system, call 858-274-7851. That's 858-274-7851. Here's another bonus tip from Michael Senoff, HardToFindSeminars.com, and it's a collection of recordings on marketing consulting. I have met a gentleman named Richard who is one of the world's best marketing consultant, and I have 12 hours of audio interviews all on the subject of marketing consulting. We also have downloads to over 23 reports on the subject of marketing. In the section of recordings, you will find a multitude of ideas that will. give you very valuable ideas on how to build and grow your business and also how to teach others how to grow their business with simple no-cost low-cost techniques. If you go back to hardtofindseminars.com to the main page you'll see across the top in white consulting services. If you click on that page there's a form that will take you into a private secret section of my site I've set up just for you with all these recordings. All you have to do is fill out your name and your information, and you'll be whisked away to Consulting Secrets, where we have thousands of dollars worth of free downloadable audio recordings in MP3, and flash, also the written printed transcripts and PDF that you can start learning from starting today. This information is hot, so get on over to -to hardtofindseminars.com. Check out Consulting Secrets.